Mind. It's a it's a more select bunch tonight, isn't it, of people? So it's good I hear that there's we we kind of picked the wrong the wrong weekend. Well, it's true actually. My daughter is in her show t- this weekend as well. Fortunately, she's doing something on Sunday as well, so I can still get to it. But, uh, well, what we're going to do is, as you know, um, learning community type environment. We we're going to do some of the things that you're going to do. Some of the things you do every time um, process what's going on in your own uh, communities and groups and things like that. But then um, also every time there's a theme and, and you know something, some area of what could be, um, some area that we're kind of stretching into and, and um, keep trying to get our heads around. And Scott asked me to come this time and talk about something that 3DM has started doing probably in about the last 18 months or so with churches, which is um, we call it the Naturally Supernatural, we call it Naturally Supernatural Workshops. And basically... Um, What's happened is um, the, the, the ministry that I represent, 3DM, basically we teach discipleship and mission principles. That's really what we're doing. We're trying to get help churches to learn how to do um, discipleship well, how to, how to be slightly less individualistic and, and learn how to do community and learn how to reach people with, with the good news of Jesus. So that's the main thing that we've been doing. We've been doing that for a long time now. I've been working with churches probably for about 15 years in Europe and um, and in the States uh, more recently. Um, but one of the things that we've noticed coming to the U- US from the UK is that um, there's, I don't know what it is that happened, you guys might be able to help me out and tell me what you think happened, but there's this real division um, in kind of pr- theology and practice in the US that doesn't exist in Europe. In Europe, um, Bible-believing conservative evangelical churches, um, the majority of them would expect that part of the Christian walk is that you should expect to see God operating supernaturally, and not just supernaturally through the conversion process at the point at which you believe. We all know that's a supernatural occurrence. Or, or um, being convicted um, you know, in a particular sermon or through a particular scripture. Again, that's, super, that's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? So that's supernatural. But more than that, you know, expecting that we would sometimes see people get healed and, that we'd, you know, we'd see those sorts of things happen. And um, in the UK, that is um, a fairly normal thing. Um, and I've come to the US and there seems to be this, this real kind of division. There's like, these, there's like these ultra charismatic kind of Holy Spirit churches. And then there's like Bible churches word and spirit and the two seem to be very separated and I, I can't quite work out what's gone on there except that maybe that the Holy Spirit folks just went crazy and everyone else backed off I don't know but I, I don't know whether that's what happened but um, something there's something out there which I think probably is playing into the enemy's hands because I'm sure he wants us to be able to engage both with you know biblical rigor and discipline and bible knowledge and also with the Holy Spirit who Jesus said he was going back up to the Father so he could send the Holy Spirit to us. We, we've got to learn how to engage with both, haven't we? And so I, um, the, what we found was, as we were working with churches at 3DM, um, um, as, they, as, churches, as we got to know churches over the years, and they realized that we were more comfortable with that stuff than they were, we, a lot of churches started saying, well, would you do some training in that? I mean, how do we... It's kind of like, we don't think that you guys are weird or about to do some, you know freaky thing on us so maybe we can have that conversation with you because we don't know anyone else we could have it with so we've been so really this naturally supernatural um, ministry came from churches approaching us and saying well could you talk to us about that so 
we've been kind of developing it over the last 18 months or so. And um, we've, you know, we haven't got the time that we'd have in a full workshop, so we're just going to kind of be dipping the toe in a little bit. But I just, um, it felt, but Scott felt like it's the time probably to have this conversation. And um, so I'm going to throw some things out. And then the great thing for you guys is I, throw, the, I throw, throw a few hand grenades out and then I go home and then, um, and then you know, you, you can expect um, Scott to have to d clear up all the mess afterwards, so that would be great. Um, <laughs> So just, I, I just thought it might be helpful to start by giving you a bit of uh, my background so you know where I'm coming from. So um, denominationally, I, I, I'm Baptist background. Um, that's English Baptist, which is a bit different. It's not quite the same as Southern Baptist. Slightly different roots. Um, you know, the American um, a Southern Baptist in the U.S. really came from Presbyterian roots. Um, you know, mountain people that started um, doing um, adult baptism and things like that. Um, the, the Brits tend to, came more from a... Anabaptist kind of roots. So in some ways in America, the Brits have got more in, the British Baptists have got more in common in their roots with some of the kind of more Mennonites and people like that perhaps than the Southern Baptists, if that makes sense. Um, uh, but, um, but it's a conservative denomination, evangelical. Um, I grew up in a very conservative environment. Uh, my parents didn't get TV till I was 10. Um, and, uh, you know, church for us on Sunday was long and uh basically we had we had hymns and the kids all had to stay in, the, in in for the sermon in the morning which i think this i think this is just designed for the adults we stayed in in the morning we just had to be quiet and otherwise we'd get slapped and then we'd go home have lunch and then we had children's sunday school in the afternoon so we all had to go back to church in the afternoon which presumably all the parents collectively heaved a sigh of relief and relaxed you know but um so um, grew up in that environment. Um, uh, we, we, we weren't cessationists, so we didn't believe that the spiritual gifts had ceased with the kind of end of the apostolic age. But um, so it's, we did believe that God could do miraculous things, but basically none of us ever expected that he would, if, if we're honest. So that's kind of where we were from, except in one context. There was one context as I grew up where it was acceptable to talk about miracles and get excited about those things, and that was with missionaries on the mission field in Africa or South America or something like that. So it's, it was absolutely fine to read some book written by some hardcore missionary where you know they saw somebody get healed or something like that, or they had some encounter with a demon or something like that, and, um, and talk about it and how exciting it was. But as long as it's like about at least about 2,000 miles away, then we're good. You know? so, that was, so that was the kind of tradition that I grew up in. And... Um, and then um, in the 80s, um, by that time, by the mid-80s, I was a teenager then, I, I basically rebelled. Um, often happens when you grow up in a... I mean, my parents are not, not legalistic. My parents are just great um, Christians, real people of God. But the church environment is quite a legalistic environment. It's often you find as you become a teenager, if you've grown up in that environment, you start wanting to kind of cut, cut loose from it, don't you? And, um, and my parents said that I had to go to church um, until I was 14, and then I could choose. And so for my 14th birthday, I chose to not go to church anymore. Um, they still... Are you picking this up on the microphone? Okay, I'm aware it's... Okay, great. Um, they still maybe go at Christmas, Easter and things, but... So I was, I was in rebellion at that point. So I didn't... I, I missed the stuff that happened in our church. But what happened was that... Um, uh, the, the, reason, the, the, the reason that, the, um, that there isn't this kind of divide between um, Holy Spirit and, and Bible kind of churches in the UK 
is because um, the thing that in, in, the mo- in the last few decades that brought a knowledge back of the gifts of the Spirit and the things of the Holy Spirit and all, all that kind of stuff was um, some of the what they now call the third wave movement, which is the kind of churches, the new church um, denominations, things like Vineyard and things like that, that came and they came over from the States, from the US to, to Britain, but, it, but they connected with the conservative evangelicals. And so what happened was, they came with this message of, did you know that God still moves with power? And if you're going to follow Jesus, maybe you should do some of the things that Jesus did. But the people who processed it were reserved in personality and rigorous and systematic in their theology, which meant that you got a kind of a different thing from what I've seen in American kind of Pentecostal or charismatic environment, which is, seems to be more of a kind of theology of kind of scattergun theology. It's like, here's 50 reasons to expect a miracle, you know, kind of thing. Whereas... In England, it was much more, you know, building up layers of, okay, there's a foundational understanding, and then what about that? And it just seemed to be worked through. And um, the church that my parents went to is one of the churches that that guy, John Wimber, who was the guy who started the Vineyard Movement, came to visit. The pastor had heard about it, didn't know anything about this stuff, thought it was interesting, had heard something from a friend, invited this guy, didn't really know what he was doing. And uh, so this guy came, John Wimber, came to uh, my parents' church, a relatively small Baptist church, and um, and he did a bit of teaching. Then he said, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come with power. And um, if you want to know the Holy Spirit better, then um, why don't you just hold your hands up as we pray as a sign that you're asking him, you know, as a sign of welcome. So um, my dad was pretty skeptical. My mum was um, a bit more open. Um, you know, people stood there and he prayed. And, and a couple of weird things happened. Um, couple of people fell over you know like the pentecostals often have that they call it being slain in the spirit um so a couple of people fell over which freaked everyone else out and um basically unfortunately it basically just started a big argument in the church and probably about is about 50 50 and about half the church said <clears throat> you know this is crazy why are we doing this <clears throat> the other half said we need to press into these things and then there was probably a, a small minority who said it's from satan so that didn't help either, you know. So there's all that going on. There's often does when these things go on in churches, don't they? And um, my dad was kind of fairly ambivalent. He's like, it might be God, it might not be. Not sure. Um, my mum had asked for prayer, but she felt absolutely nothing. No sense of any uh, particular encounter with the Lord. So they'd come home. I wasn't even going to church at this point, so I was aware from a distance that they were having this, these conversations. But this is what happened. Um, after my mum had been prayed for, my mum had um, my mum had had a really tough childhood in many ways. Uh, her mother, um, who'd been bipolar, um, committed suicide when she was nine, and so then she'd grown up. And then her her father had remarried, and, re- and her stepmother didn't like her at all. And they didn't get on, so she had a horrible time with her stepmother. And then when she married my father, she was my she was my grandfather's favourite. He really he really doted on her. And when she married my dad and left home, her grandfather committed suicide. Uh, her father committed suicide as well. So both her parents committed suicide um, by the time she was 21. So that's pretty grim, isn't it? And um, and so she was. I mean, nowadays this is back in the 70s um, when I was a kid growing up. We didn't really have these sorts of diagnoses. Nowadays you'd say she was clinically depressed, but all we knew was that she um, she was a lovely mum. She hugged us. She told us she loved us. She did activities with us. She did all the things a mum should do, you know, bake cookies. But she, um, she was always very, just very flat emotionally. She, she didn't really 
you know, she didn't, she was just functioning really. And, um, and so we kind of knew that about her, and we knew that she'd had these, some tough things happen and stuff like that. But um, after she'd been prayed for, she, she, she was prayed for that night, nothing happened. She went home. The next morning when she woke up, she felt an, ex- she felt an emotion that she hadn't experienced for, since she was a child. And um, she said to my dad, it's really weird, I've woken up this morning and I kind of feel happy. And, um, and it was a, quite a big deal for her, you know. She said, I wonder whether that's God, you know. <clears throat> and, um, but then as the day went forward, went on, she, what she experienced was that that joy, and I'd say it was joy because you can distinguish, can't you? Happiness is you feel good because you've got good circumstances. You know, joy is you feel good doesn't make any difference what the circumstances are. It's an internal state of being that comes from your connection with the Lord, you know. And this joy just was increasing. And by the end of the day, she was smiling. And we were like, my, I remember talking to my sisters and saying, what's going on with mum, do you know? Like, no. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, but, uh, yeah, they didn't drink an awful lot, the Baptist family. So uh, <laughs> probably we didn't think it was that. But, you know, it could, I don't know what it was. So, so they, um, so anyway, she later told me it just kept this sense of joy just kept growing. It kept growing and growing and growing, and she started. We'd always had like talk radio on in our house, and I noticed that she's instead of talk radio now, she's putting on these, all this worship stuff, and it was just kind of in the eighties. It was just you know when like what we now call contemporary worship was just coming in. So from my point of view, I was playing in a heavy metal band at that point, and it was like insufferable easy listening <laughs> Christian stuff, you know. So I didn't really like the music, but I couldn't help noticing the, the change, you know. And she was singing along to the music and she was laughing. She told me later, once I'd come, I mean, basically that started my journey back to God. It, I, I noticed what had happened and I just thought, that could only be God. Uh, what else could have done that? And so that's when I started to feel convicted and I started basically... Well, I, I began to slow down in running away from God. And, and basically, God was, pursu- was on my case. He was pursuing me. And probably about a year and a half later, I got baptized. I came back to the Lord. And, um, and that was why. And she told me later, once I'd become a Christian, she told me that the, um, the, the sense of joy increased so much after about two or three weeks that she thought that if it increased any more, she would die. And she actually had to th- ask the Lord to stop increasing it. She said, I can't take any more, God. you just <laughs> got to stop, you know. And I mean, I think, you know, with the, we've reflected on it many times. I mean, that was, you know, a long time ago now. And um, um, <clears throat> I, reflect, I think her reflection would be the Lord was healing her, basically. He was healing her, her soul, wasn't he, um, from the damage that was done. Um, but what that did was that obviously, um, you know, that was, a, that was a very important thing for me because it made me realize that there's more to God than just doing Bible studies, singing hymns, you know, trying to be good, you know, which is kind of what I'd, you know, I'd kind of grown up with. And uh, there's something powerful and supernatural about God. And, you know, and it was interesting. It, it coincided with, I, um, I remember when I was a little kid, she'd read me all the Narnia stories. Uh, we used to read a lot because we didn't have a TV. She used to read the stories um, often in the evening. And, um, and I remember once I'd become a Christian, I went back to those you know, as a kind of young adult, and read them through again, and um, and it, it was just a. C.S. Lewis has got a very good way, hasn't he, of of digging into the kind of emotional 
side of relating to God. You know, stuff like where they say, he's good but he's not safe and all that kind of stuff. And it just, having seen my mum's experience, I kind of understood it different. I understood those books differently. It's like, yeah, I, I think I know what he's getting at now. Because um, C.S. Lewis's own, um, own, own biography was called Surprised by Joy, wasn't it? It was that kind of a similar kind of experience. So, so that was the background. So um, I became a Christian, um, but I went back to, I'd missed all of that stuff happening in the church. So basically, I'd grown up in this very conservative environment, um, seen this thing at home, become a Christian, started going to church literally about, I don't know, two months before I went to college, and then went off to college. I'm so grateful to the Lord that I recommitted to, he, he got me to a point of recommitment just before I went off to college, because it saved me all, no end of problems that probably would still be following me today if I hadn't have done that. So that was God's grace. Um, but I went off, and so I, I had a sense of mission. It's like, okay, going to go make a difference, going to go and follow you, Lord. Um, and, and in England, of course, hardly anybody is a Christian now. I mean, it wasn't quite so bad in the, in the early 90s when I was at college. But, um, I mean, now Sheffield, the city where, where um, I was um, leading a church, is 2.5% two, two church attendance on a Sunday. So almost nobody goes to church. And it's, it's very post-Christian. So when you go to college... Um, it's, you know, trying to find the other Christian students so that you can hang out with some people that aren't going to constantly be trying to get you to get drunk and do all the other things is actually not that easy. You know, there aren't that many of them around. So what happens is you basically get to know really well um, the, other, uh, the other Christians that are kind of in your, you know, when you're a freshman, the other freshman Christians. And, and it doesn't really matter what denomination they are because um, ba- basically beggars can't be choosers. There aren't enough of us, you know, so basically, if you just find someone else that loves Jesus, you're like, great. It doesn't really matter what they do, whether they baptize their babies or their adults or how they do communion or, you know, all those secondary things. In, in Britain, those secondary things are much less important than they seem to be here. I think here, um, you know, there's still enough Christians that people can find those differences more important than perhaps the Lord does, if you know what I mean. Um, and I'm not trying to, denig- to, to kind of denigrate... Um, uh, doctrine and uh, of course uh, it's important it's just um I, I think sometimes we we divide too much over it you know i think i think there's something sometimes good about i mean obviously there's not, not i'm not talking about primary doctrine but on secondary issues of doctrine i think sometimes good for us to sometimes just to agree to disagree and get on with it you know get on with the the, the job of reaching the people who don't know the lord so so one of the people that i met um who became probably my closest friend in my first year at college was um, a guy called Andy and um, Andy was from a Pentecostal background so I mean in terms of within the Protestant spectrum he was about as opposite an an upbringing to what I'd had probably the only thing in common was there's probably quite there was a fair bit of legalism in his background just like there was in mine but it was just but all that stuff about the Holy Spirit and you know all that kind of stuff and um, and of course I'd missed my church engaging with that so I basically just went as a as a strong conservative kind of Christian. I I really was passionate about the Lord, uh, but that would express itself by getting up early each morning so I could read lots of scripture. It was that that was that's how I operated. And Andy used to really annoy me because he used to say, um, "Oh, the other day I was praying and God said this to me, or God said that to me," and it used to really wind me up. I used to say, "Andy, what you mean is you thought that. It's fine." You can think godly thoughts, but don't say God said it to you. God said everything he's going to say, and it's right there. You can, you can access it any time, you know. And, um, 
And he just is, you know, I mean, this is like college arguments, you know, it's like it's those sorts of things. And, um, and so we used to always have these conversations and he'd say, God said, and I'd say, you mean you thought. And, and um, I said, you can think, you can, you can, um, you can have God's, what God says going through your mind anytime you like, Andy. Just think of scripture. It's easy. Think of scripture. God said it. It's great, you know. And, and, and then one day he completely wrecked my theory because he said, I was praying for you the other day, Paul, and God said this to me. And what he said, he couldn't possibly have known and was absolutely accurate. And um, that kind of, you know, put a stick in my spokes, didn't it? Because it's like, I couldn't argue that one because I couldn't say you just thought it because he couldn't possibly have known it. And um, it was a big kairos for me. It was like, well, and, and, and then he gave me a book and it was a book about, it was from a different tradition from what I was used to. It was um, a fairly charismatic tradition, but it was a book about these folks who really had operated with quite a lot of um, kind of prophetic type gifting. Now, all that language is alien to me, but um, I remember I read the book and um, I thought to myself, well, I prayed about it, and I thought, just because it's written in a book doesn't mean it's true. These people might just be charlatans or whatever. But I thought, I I remember praying, Lord, if it is possible to hear you like Andy seems to do and like the people in that book say that they do, then you've got to teach me how you've got to teach me how to do it. You've got to teach me that because if as well as reading scripture I can also talk to you directly and sometimes you'll talk back to me. I mean, who wouldn't want that who's a Christian, you know? And um and we did a bit of a Bible study together and he challenged me because he took me to one Corinthians fourteen, which you guys will know, you know, Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So I realised that um that what that desire in my heart, which was, well if God does speak to us, I'd like to hear him. Then, then I'm reading the Bible that's saying, well, you should eagerly desire that. You should, you should want to. And so it took me on this journey that was really taking me very much out of my box. And I've been on that journey ever since, really. And um, that's why when um, churches um, came and asked if 3DM could do some training on this stuff, they, um, the, the board of 3DM asked, basically said to me, would I do the naturally supernatural stuff? Because they knew I'd been on that kind of journey. So, um, so uh, that's been part of the journey. And I'm going to tell you some other bits of the journey as we go through the next, um, you know, evening and tomorrow. Um, but, um, but I think one of the things I've noticed in churches from, from, that, are, that aren't from a charismatic tradition, uh, and I've done a f- quite a lot of these um, workshops now over the last few years, um, and it's, always, it's almost always with churches that don't normally talk about this stuff much. And one thing I've noticed is actually the level, the number of supernatural experiences that people have in the church is actually quite high it's just often the culture of the church is such that no one ever talks about it it's a weird thing isn't it so um now there aren't many of us here today so this might not work it's it's been interesting in the past let me let let me let's try an example just just we'll just do a little poll put your hand up if you think i mean it's hard to to know isn't it unless you unless the angel gabriel shows himself to you this is a hard one to, to know but put your hand up if you think that you um might have encountered an angel at some point in your life yeah. Well, you know, you might have met one or talked to one or seen one or had some to do something in your life at some point, and you're not sure, but you think maybe. So, yeah, go on. Now, isn't that interesting? Just, have, just look around. Just keep your hand up for a minute. That's quite a few of us just for this select little gathering here. When I've done it, generally I find in most, in most groups of people, it's, it's generally somewhere between maybe a third and a quarter of the people. Uh, have, have had some sort of, they'd say, well, I'm not entirely sure, but I think maybe it was. 
Um, I mean, I can tell you the best, our bet from our church, our best angel story, if you like. Shall I tell you it? So it was a missions trip to Nigeria, and um, it was the senior pastor, Mike Breen, and the associate pastor, Paddy Mallon. I bet you can't guess where he's from. And, um, and Mike and Paddy were driving this um, van that had a whole load of young adults in it. And um, they, would, they had to get to uh, um, this compound. And, and as they were driving, they, they, got, um, they uh, shredded a tire. And so they had to pull over. But unfortunately, it happened right by this shanty town that had a pretty bad reputation. So they were pretty nervous, but they had to pull over to get uh, the spare wheel out. But as they did, these guys who'd been just lounging around came over to them, and two of them were carrying machetes. And they were very aggressive. And um, clearly from the shantytown, they were basically wearing rags. And they said, um, you're not allowed to stop here. And Mike and Paddy were trying to be as polite as they could, and they're just saying, well, we're really sorry, but we've, you know, we've damaged our wheel. We need to fix it. And the guy said, well, I'm a policeman. He clearly wasn't. He said, I'm a policeman, and um, you have to pay a fine for stopping here. So you have to pay me a fine. And so Paddy said, well, how much is the fine? And he said, well, how much have you got? And so they're not sure what to do. And um, Paddy said to Mike, well, look, let's just give them, the, give them our money. And, and Mike said, okay. And then as he did, he just uh, 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 um, uh, a proverb went through his head, which was, um, the Lord hates a bribe. It just went through his head. He did really clearly, and he thought, he said to Paddy, we, we can't give him anything. He said, why not? He said, I, I think the Lord's just told me that we can't. I just remembered that prophet says the Lord hates a bribe. So they said to this guy, I'm sorry, we can't give you anything. So then, of course, I mean, at a human level, that's exactly the wrong thing to say because this guy starts getting really aggressive. He starts shouting. They're, they're where they've got young women in the back of the, of the van. You know, they're thinking, what's going to happen here? And then, to everybody's relief, a police car turned up. Sirens going, pulls over. The policeman comes out. And he's got the Nigerian police uniform on. But when he starts talking, he's, not, he, he's Italian. He's got an Italian accent. And um, I could do my best, but um, English people are not very good at Italian accents, so I, I'll have a go, but you'll have to forgive me. So he comes out, he goes, so, he goes, what's going on here then? Now, this is in Nigeria, yeah? And they're thinking, what? And, um, and immediately, these, these guys who'd been really aggressive went very kind of meek and kind of submitted and he, he basically said, um, you know, Mike and Paddy said, well, these guys say that they're policemen and they are asking us for a fine. He said, you're not a policeman. I won't keep trying to do the Italian accent. He said, you're not a policeman. He said, um, where are your papers? And the guy said, I haven't got papers. And he said, you're not a policeman. And, the, and he basically told them to step away. He helped, them, he helped Mike and Paddy put the tire on, got it all going. And then he said, you're good. Everything's fine now. Um, you won't have any further problem, goodbye, got in his car and drove off, leaving them there with the guys with the machetes still standing there. Except now, there was no aggression. The, the guy there actually said sorry again. He, he asked if they'd... He asked if they, in the conversation that they'd had with the angel, it, it had been clear that they were pastors. He asked them if they would pray for him. So they prayed for this guy with the machete, and then they went off and went to the compound. So they thought, well, that was great, thank you, God. When they got to the compound, they told the people there what had happened, and they all started laughing and cheering and clapping. He said, why are you laughing and cheering and clapping? They said, every time someone in our compound gets into trouble, that policeman turns up, and we've checked with the Nigerian police. There isn't an Italian on the police force. He's our angel. And every time any of us get into trouble, he turns up in his police car and helps us out. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) 
So that was, that was an amazing angel story, you know, and it's like, wow. So uh, that was a good one. And, you know, um, for those young people that are in the back of the van there, that's having an experience like that at that stage in their life, I mean, it's quite formative, isn't it? It's like, okay, this stuff's real. This isn't just made-up stuff, you know. So, um, so let's just take a moment um, to just, on our tables, uh, we're going to just, let's just share with each other, maybe not, not everybody in a table because otherwise um, there's not time, maybe just in twos or threes. Let's just share, what do you think is, what could you, what, what have you noticed in your own life that's happened that you would say that was definitely supernatural, at least had a strong supernatural component to it. So it may be when you came to know the Lord, it may be, it may be, a time where there's been a real sense of conviction when you've been listening to somebody um, preaching or speaking, you've known it's more than just a persuasive speaker, the Lord's spoken to you. Or it may be something more overt, like what I, I mean, if you've got an angel, if you've got a story like that, Nigerian angel, then tell that story, obviously. But, you know, but it, it, it may not be something like that. But let's just, let's just have a conversation. And, the, and what we're trying to do here is we're trying to say there is quite a lot of supernatural stuff that goes on in any church that's full of people that know Jesus. It's just that we don't talk about it much. So we're just going to talk about it a little bit. So let's just, just have a think just, um, and think about what would you say is something that's happened in your life where you'd say that definitely at least has a supernatural component to it and then we're going to share with each other in twos and threes. Is that okay? Great, let's do that.